Amen. You can turn with me if you would in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> now y'all thought we'd been going slow. We're covering one verse tonight, okay? <laughs> one verse. That's it. <clears throat> but what a verse we're going to look at tonight. Amen. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read a couple of Scriptures to start, but we're going to start with this one verse, 18. 1 Peter 3 verse 18. You can write a book on this verse. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And I want to uh, read a couple of Scriptures. If you've got your Bibles right there, keep your spot there. Just turn back one chapter to chapter 2 of this same book, 24, verses 24 and 25. 1 Peter 2, 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, you know, people talk about Peter as though he's just some simple fisherman. The Lord revealed deep things to him and anointed him by the Holy Ghost. This is deep things. This is spiritual things. This is uh this is doctrine. This is this is what we believe. And God chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Amen. But he wrote, in his own self bore uh body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed for we were as sheep going astray but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls one more scripture before we get started colossians chapter 1 let's read colossians 1 20 through 22 colossians 1 20 through 22 and having made peace through the blood of his cross by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by, the, by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled. Reconciliation has to do with two parties that were estranged or apart from each other being brought back together. And the thing that brings us back together to God, we're estranged because of our sin against the Holy God. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our faith in Him and His blood that's made us clean has reconciled us back to a right relationship with our God and our Father. Uh, in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. You know, uh, we can turn back to 1 Peter 3.18. And that's going to be our, our text for tonight. I'm going to read it one more time. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Okay? And quickened means brought back to life. I say that's a word we don't use a lot because I don't think there's a lot of context in where we could use it other than with the Lord. A lot of people can kill. And Satan can steal, kill, and destroy in a... Uh, a weak person can kill, but only the Lord can quicken. That means to give life to. Okay? And he says that after the, Jesus died once for the sins of the world, He was quickened by the Spirit and rose again the third day where He's seated in power and authority at the right hand of the Father even now in heaven. Okay? Jesus is not laying in a grave somewhere. We understand that. We know that. I'm probably not going to say anything you haven't heard before uh, tonight that you haven't heard before. But God wants us to get it. And I believe it's great encouragement. The epistle that, that we're studying, First Peter, 
You have to say one of the themes that we've seen. It's similar to Hebrews. Very similar to Hebrews. He was speaking to the church that was scattered abroad. Remember? And that they were, persec- they were being persecuted. And they were suffering for righteousness sake. And he tells them to be of good courage. And you, you, you keep your eyes on the Lord. Do it for Jesus' sake. It's well-pleasing to God. It's honoring to God. And on top of that, there's a blessing and reward for your life. Not, we don't just go out looking to suffer, but when we suffer for His name's sake, which we do uh, as we live godly in Christ Jesus, He says, you hang in there. You count it all joy. You keep your eyes on Me. It's special to Me, Son, that you're suffering for Me. I'm noticing it. I'm taking note of it. And He's not forgetting one tear or one uh, cruelty that's come against your life. And He is going to more than reward us in heaven for that. And He's also going to take care of us here on this life. But it's an encouragement to know that when we do suffer for righteousness, righteousness sake, to read this, for Christ also has suffered. He suffered. He knows what it's like. But Christ's suffering was unique. We have to say... There are some similarities that we could compare to, but Christ's suffering was unique. And it was unique in the sense that what He did, He suffered the just for the unjust. Even as the best Christian you could be or I could be, and we suffer for Christ's sake, and we suffer for righteousness' sake, which it does happen. We're still sinful people who have been washed in the blood. We're not sinless and perfect. But Jesus, we're not the just. He's the just. But when Christ suffered, His suffering was unique. The just suffering all the way to death for the unjust. Just in this sense meaning righteous. Okay, Righteous. Dying for the unrighteous. And He he died as our substitute. That's going to be our theme for tonight. The substitute. This is huge in our theology. It's huge in what the Bible teaches. It's huge in what Christ did that we understand. The, what really took place. There was a transaction that took place. Somebody stood in our stead. We always say, we did this instead of that. Okay? Well, the instead is what Jesus, He died instead of us. Well, what, what is meant by that? Okay? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. That our Savior's death, what He did, He did something towards men. Okay? Kindness of men. The kindness and love of God that was shown to men, sinful, unkind men, that the Lord showed in the death of Christ. He did something towards us and for us, but He also did something to satisfy God's holy law. There's really a lot there that we need to see and get. There's the, the substitution part. Uh, we have to see He, did, he, just, he died for my sins. And we, you know, we say, thank You, Lord. But there's more than that. There has to be... God has a, has a holy, righteous lawgiver and judge of all creation and all of men's hearts and of lives. And His law has been violated and that was satisfied as well. The, the rightful uh, penalty for breaking God's law was, and our, we're the ones that broke it was satisfied in Jesus' death as well when He died on the cross. So we're going we're gonna to look at some of this tonight and really study it. That the Lord, uh, that substitute. And it's, it's not enough for, for God just to have died for our sins. The Lord should to have died for our sins. That law of God, the holy law of God, had to be satisfied. It's something like unfinished business over here. And God's complete and whole and orderly and just. And it's got to be dealt with. 
And we're going to talk about this tonight. And so uh, I would say this, these are deep things. You know, I understand it this much, but there's infinitely a, a greater depth to our understanding anything of God's Word, His love, like we sang about, or this, this Christ's death. But the more we would study our Bibles and, and, and sit under the authority of God's Word and be led by the Holy Spirit, or sit before the Lord in prayer, He's going to take those simple things and He's going to, he's going to reveal them to us even more, those deep things, and we're going to come to know them more and more. And so we see in the Bible that uh, you know, our, our salvation doesn't depend on this deep, deep understanding. We just need to know He's the Savior to the uttermost. Amen? They come to Him. So I'm not saying you have to have this full, vast knowledge in order to give your life to Christ. You need to believe the Gospel and understand it to the point where you can repent and give your life to Jesus. And He comes into your heart and you put your faith in Him. But as we grow in the Lord, and I pray we do grow in the Lord, we're going to understand these things more and more. And we'll be so much more thankful. You know what I'm saying? We'll be more thankful that we belong to Jesus and what He did for us. Now there's no way... Um, you would have to truly distort God's Word to not see this teaching of substitution in the Bible. A lot of people deny it for different reasons, okay? In their intellect, they're not spiritually minded. And just in their intellect, they, they don't think it would be right of God. It doesn't seem fair, the just to die for the unjust. And if He's a fair God, He would never do it. And they deny, they deny the whole substitution part. And yet, you would have to really pervert and distort the Bible to not see that's exactly what happened. Jesus died in our stead. Jesus died in our place. And you could not have any kind of... Uh, you'd have to tear out so much of the Bible. And, and all of the Levitical law, and we're going to look at some of it tonight, where we see that, that teaching of substitute for man's sin. The animal sacrifices, okay? And those blood sacrifices of those animals could never clean the conscience of the guilty sinner. But God did provide it as a picture of the coming Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He also provided as a covering for man's sin so that there was still could be forgiveness. There still could be... Uh, everybody didn't just commit a sin or break the law and fall over dead. You know, if you commit this sin, bring the, bring the sacrifice. But even in the sacrifice, there was a way and there was a teaching. He's saying, you bring that sacrifice and here's, here's how it's going to go and I'm going to accept that as an atonement, which simply means a covering for your sin. And uh, it's taught all through the Levitical law in the confession and guilt of the innocent, uh, I mean of the sinner over that innocent lamb. Okay? And I want to read a, a, a little, if you all just bear with me, I'm going to read a few paragraphs from this book that I've been studying and he, he, this, this author is talking about it here. And he says, running through all the sacrifices, these Old Testament sacrifices, was the idea of substitution. It shall be accepted for him in his stead to make an atonement for him. That's from Leviticus 1.4. He says, in a most impressive way, the sweet savor offering typified the substitutionary character of Christ's work at Calvary. The offerer. All right, the person who committed a sin, it was bringing an offering in, in this Levitical system. Okay? Always there's a blood sacrifice for sin. There were other offerings, grain offerings and drink offerings and first fruits, but those weren't for sin. Sin offering was blood, a blood sacrifice. Something was going to die. Okay? 
And so it's teaching us that Christ is coming who will take away the sins of the world finally and do it once and for all in His own flesh and put it away. But until then, it wasn't time yet. He came in the fullness of time. And between the time that Christ came and and back here when men first started sinning, God made provisions for sin, always pointing to this coming Savior. And it all would typify Him. It was all fulfilled in Christ, okay? But every one of those little animal sacrifices and types and shadows and the priest and everything was pointing the way, the right way to do it and, and how to do it. And it was teaching us about Jesus. But the offerer had to identify himself with his offering. It wasn't like, okay, priest, take this and go do your business. You know, uh, I lied. I did this. I, uh, you know, I lusted. I committed adultery. Whatever. Go, go, take, take these animals and go do your deal. You know that the offerer who committed the sin had to identify himself with the offering that he brought. It was his offering. One of his lambs. One of his goats. Whatever. If they were poor, they would bring... You know, pigeons or doves. But, but it was something they invested in. And they had to identify themselves. And he, he, would, he shall put his hand upon the head of the, offer, the burnt offering. By so doing, there was the transference of the offerers, the guilty parties, guilt to the Lamb. Now, we don't know that that... I'm not saying spiritually that that necessarily took place. It was representative of that and God accepted it for that. But you just picture in your mind, here's a man who committed a sin. And he understands he's committed a sin, and the Levitical law told him what to do about it. Okay? And so bring this lamb as, a, as an offering to the priest. You go to the certain place, the certain person, and you do it my way. And bring this offering. And when he got there, he would put his hands upon the head of that lamb and confess his sins. And it represented a transference of his sins to an innocent party. I'm the guilty one, but God's merciful and He's made a way for me not to die. I may make it a way for my sins to be covered. And so He provided that way. And, and, he would, and also the sinner, when He laid His hands, um, there was a transference, I guess you could say, of the innocency of the Lamb that would, hadn't committed the sin back to the, the guilty party. There was something you know, taking place there. And in the same way when a sinner by faith lays hold on the Lord, you know, that precious head of the Lord, so to speak, um, that he, he takes, God accepts Christ as our sin offering once and for all. And, and we receive what back in place? Forgiveness, cleansing, the righteousness that's really not ours. It's His righteousness, but He imputes it to us and makes it ours. But it wasn't our righteousness. I'm a guilty sinner. But He took my sin and bore it away and forgave me and transferred to me His own holy nature and righteousness and character. It's an amazing thing. And so this was taught in those those sacrifices. And, uh, and then we makes us a recipient of His grace and mercy. I just want to read a little bit more from this book. In the yearly Day of Atonement, right? The Jewish Day of Atonement. There was continual sacrifices being made for sin. Always. Blood being shed daily, daily, daily. But then there was the one Day of Atonement where it would be made, the high priest would go in once a year to the holy place and make atonement for the, for the whole nation the sins of the people. But it says two goats were presented before the Lord. The one was, one was actually for Jehovah, and the other was for the people. 
one goat was killed and his blood carried within the veil and sprinkled upon the mercy seat and seven times before it. Once on the mercy seat, seven times before it. So this two goats are brought. This is for the whole, all the people. And, and once killed, that was for Jehovah. That was for the sacrifice. That would be like Christ dying for our sins, shedding His blood, a body thou hast prepared he didn't, you know, for Him. And, and the Lord accepted. But then also, the other goat was presented alive. There's another goat that wasn't killed. But they're both important in this picture. In this day of atonement and the forgiveness of sins and transferring them away. The other goat was presented alive before the Lord and the sins of the people confessed over it by the high priest. So the high priest is confessing over this goat, putting his hands. Here we have portrayed the two parts of Christ's work, glorifying God by the shed and sprinkled blood and bearing away. Because that other goat that was alive, that wasn't killed, had the sins confessed over it, once killed as a blood sacrifice, and brought before Jehovah, sprinkled on the mercy seat and before it. The other ones confessed over, brought way out to the wilderness. I know we've talked about it. We cannot find its way back and let loose somewhere. Just You just picture it wandering, wandering around somewhere, but away. And it's not coming back. It's carrying the, those sins away. Way, away and away and away. And the Lord says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. They're just going away. He's not hanging them back over our head. They're not really close. And if we mess up, He piles them all back on us or reminds us. Remember, He he has no pleasure in that. He wants to bear them away. The price has been paid in the blood sacrifice and the sins have been borne away by by Christ in both pictures. The Lord fulfilling both parts of that picture, okay? And so, um, propitiation, that simply means the, the uh, propitiation is like an atoning victim. Christ was our propitiation, an atoning victim. And He was the victim on the cross, so to speak. Now, it was His, his will to do it, but that is the case. Propitiation answers uh, the question, what was done within the veil? What's done right in the presence of God that had to be satisfied there? And it was Christ being the atoning victim, that blood being his blood being shed, the just for the unjust. And the substitution refers to the, the sins being carried away, basically, and what the scapegoat represented. All right. So I just wanted to, to touch on that real quick. Um, is one with him now as being born again? If you're here tonight, you're born again. If you're not, you can be. Okay? You can be tonight. He loves you and He wants to save you. He's the only Savior of the world. But if you are saved, then we know that that we've been crucified in the person of our substitute. It's not just something He did for us. That It was just something He did for us, but by faith when we came to Him and we fell at the foot of the cross and say, I want to take, I want to take Jesus and I want you to be my Savior. It's not just that you did it for the whole world. You did it for me. I get it. I understand. And I'm falling before you. And in all that transaction, we don't have it all. Like I said, we don't know it maybe all at the moment of salvation what's taking place. But we're dying. His death, our death. His resurrection, our resurrection. So um, we died or were crucified as well in the person of our substitute. He went to the cross, but now... I've come under him and I've, you know, take my life. 
and, and we're crucified with Christ, the Bible says. And so ours, our part was the sin, but his part was to pay the penalty. Ours was the sin. His was the penalty. Ours was the shame and the guilt. I mean, yeah, he, he bore the shame and we get to bear the glory. He, he was the one on the cross and we get to wear a crown and be with the Lord. He substituted this and did this for us. And so uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing what Jesus did for us. Now I want to talk about it for a little bit more. Uh, it's, all, it's taught all through the Bible. There's a, a unanimous picture all through the Bible of this substitution. We just looked at a couple of things from the Levitical law. But the basically, Charles Spurgeon said, my, my uh, theology can be summed up in four words. He died for me. I mean, that's really their substitution there, okay? He died for me. And we understand that He bore our guilt and shame. And He took Himself the penalty and the consequences for sin that we definitely should have been the ones to pay. The consequences and the penalty for sin that we should have paid. Now, I want to make sure that, that we understand the nature of the Lord all through the Bible that hasn't changed. And here's what I mean by this. Sometimes that people will misrepresent the Lord, I believe, and, and thinking somehow that the Lord only loves men in the New Testament or only loves men as far as Christ is concerned. But before that, He was just harsh and, and legalistic. And you know, understand what I'm saying? And the Bible says totally the opposite of that. The Bible says that God is love. And He says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Jeremiah said, Lord, your mercy, and David both, your mercies are fresh and new each morning. That's how we, with you, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. Your, your mercies are new every morning. So it's wrong to paint the picture. And you probably have heard people do it. Uh, that almost like God, the God of the Old Testament was a different God than the God of the New Testament. And He was absolutely not. There are different dispensations. Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain from when? The foundation of the world. So that was promised. Like I said, there was just a specific time when God had for Him to come to this earth and actually do the work on the cross and fulfill that. But he was the same God all throughout. And he all through everything and through the law and before the law, he was wanting to, to point the way to Jesus. Bring me men to Christ. It's the Old Testament <laughs> scriptures that say, Why will you die, O house of Israel? Why don't you come to me and be forgiven? Amen. Old Testament. So it's wrong to paint the Lord somehow only love uh, God only being loving towards men as through the cross. It is the greatest expression of His love without doubt. But that had been a promise of His all along and He kept His promise. God didn't change. His heart didn't change. It was just in the fullness of time that He sent Christ. Amen? I'm so glad He did. I'm so glad, honestly, that I live on this side of the cross and all that's been fulfilled. But the, but the point is, he, he, it's wrong to think that uh, that he just started loving men basically when Jesus came to the earth and born a little baby in a manger and died on the cross and shed his blood, that somehow there was this wrathful God who otherwise would hate us 
if Jesus hadn't come to do that. Okay? The, the death of Christ, God's Son, is due to the love of God. You understand what I'm saying? He so loved the world that He gave His Son. So, again, we have to be careful to understand in the Bible picture, where do we live? Well, we're on this side of the cross. And we're not under the law. And we understand that. And we need to teach that. We need to understand it. At the same time, we don't look back and despise the law or the God of the Old Testament or the way that the Lord dealt with people in the Old Testament. Ask David if he dealt kindly with him. You understand what I'm saying? Ask these people that probably walk with the Lord a whole lot more intimately than I ever have who lived on that side of the cross before Jesus ever came. And say, is he, is he love? Was He kind to you? Was He merciful? Did He forgive you your sins when you came to Him? You see what I'm saying? He, it's, it's just, uh, it can be a twisting that I have seen before. And we need to guard against that. Okay, The cross is the expression of God's love, which is older than all of creation. The cross, but He didn't change and all of a sudden become loving towards men when Jesus came. I think we, we've made that point. And so also, uh, in, it says, in this was manifested the love of God, that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. In this was manifested or made apparent or clear the love of God. So He was already a loving God, right? And that He gave His Son when Christ came. That was the clearest picture. So also there's no... Uh, contrast or conflict. This is another thing. It's really amazing. There's no conflict between God's righteousness and the righteous requirements of the law and a holy God and His way, okay, and His law. There's no contrast between that and the love and the forgiveness and the mercy of God. They're not button heads. There's not seeing which one will win out. He's not righteous at the expense of His love or He's not loving and forgiving and merciful at the expense of His holy law. He is perfectly both at the same time. And we can't, can hardly picture that because we think of laws or judges or penalties for law and breaking the law and so forth. It's all in a man-to-man. It's in an imperfect world and an imperfect system. Okay? And we think of leniency and things like this. Those aren't really words with the Lord. He's perfectly just and holy. He was perfectly just and holy when He brought forgiveness and salvation through Jesus. He didn't compromise His holiness or law or righteousness or the righteous requirements of the law in order to say, okay, let's get that old thing out of the way and just overlook the law somehow. Christ fulfilled it. So it's fulfilled... It wasn't overlooked or pushed to the side or neglected or we just kind of forgot it's in the rearview mirror back there. It was never really dealt with. We did, I decided to be really loving instead and forgiving. Not at all. Christ fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. And by so doing, the Bible tells us, He put it away. Didn't ridicule it. Didn't mock it. Didn't say it was stupid. He fulfilled it. He finished it. It has no place anymore. Remember, we, uh, we did our study in Hebrews that the, when the real comes, the actual Christ came, 
There was no more need for the types and shadows and pictures of the blood sacrifices and the temple worship and the Levitical priesthood. When the real came, he goes, that, that, that's no more. You don't need the, the types and shadows anymore, any more than you'd need a little candle out in the middle of a, middle of a noon day when the sun's out. The little candle was nice and helped show me some light. But when the light came and the day stars arises and the Son of God is on the scene and did everything and perfectly fulfilled, and you say, wow, there He is. You don't need that little light anymore. It serves of no use. And so it would be weak and beggarly elements of the law. For me, now that Christ has come, to go searching back for the law, trying to find some pathway to God or holiness, through a law that's been fulfilled and put away when all, was, all the whole law was pointing me to Christ. And I'm in Christ now. I'm going to go back through these other things trying to find some way to live for God. No, we walk in the Spirit. And we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Understand what I'm saying? The, the holiness of God, uh, we're a partaker of His divine nature and He calls us and He equips us every day to get up and live for God. He still feels the same about adultery as he did in the Old Testament. He still feels the same about murder and lying and cheating. That didn't change the moral law. It's written on our hearts now. Not the ceremonial law, not the civil law, not the feast and, and all the blood sacrifices. The law of God, who he is by his nature, what he's called us to be. That is written on my heart. And we get up every day and we don't have outward tablets of stone hanging over our head and say, what were they again? Let me see. Oh yeah, I forgot number eight today. It's written on our hearts. It comes through a, a relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost making it real to us day by day. So there's no, there's no collision course between the righteousness of God and the love of God. They're right on track with one another. In other, in other words, for Him to be just, if He's really a God of love, then He's also going to be just. He wouldn't be unfair. If I got two boys and I love them both, I'm not going to prefer one over the other and, and pit them against each other. Do a little more. You know, they're, if I'm perfect in my love, then I'm going to be just as well. So the justice is going to be part of God's love. All right? And, and they go together. So there's a scripture that says that uh, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace unto His people and to His saints but let them not turn aside to folly. Surely His salvation is nigh them that fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth. Alright? So mercy and truth. It's not one or the other. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. This is really really fulfilled perfectly in Christ. Okay? Not compromising His holiness or His law or His justice. He's truth. He's righteous. But yet there's mercy and there's peace as well. It's not one or the other. And it's amazing that it all can be fulfilled in Christ. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before Him and shall set us in the way of His steps. It's a wonderful passage. Think about this just for a second. Is it real love? We're talking about there's no collision course or contradiction between God who's holy and just and being loving and merciful and forgiving. No contrast. He doesn't have to lower one standard to elevate the other. Alright? Is it love for a, for a man to uh, let his children do as they like unrebuked if they're, if they're in sin or 
hurting themselves. Is that really love? I'm just going to let them go. But see, the world, in a lot of sense, the world would think, yeah, well, that, that's mercy. And you're just being merciful and kind. Is it really loving and merciful to let someone go on in their sin or a society go on in sin unrebuked, unchecked, unrestrained, uncorrected? No, here's the way. Walk in it. You're heading the wrong way. There's going to be consequences for that. This is not of God or it's not the way a man's to live his life in this society. To just let them go unchecked. Is that really love? We all know that that would not be really love. That's not a good expression of love. Uh, love involves righteousness. Okay? Love involves righteousness. And God's love, therefore, requires Him to, to act in justice and righteousness. To say what's right and to deal with human beings rightly according to His moral law and word. Okay? He must, therefore, because He is love, He's got to receive the, the penalty for the law that was violated. But there's a lot, He chose the most loving way to do it. To actually bear it upon Himself. But it was still paid. Okay? It was still paid. I guess that's the point of it. I'm going to talk just real quickly. We just have a, a few more minutes. He's just and good, but He's not a liar. And if He says, for example, that the wages of sin is death, or the soul that sinneth it shall die, He said that. So He's not a liar. Okay? He's going to keep His law. But Christ died in our stead. And before He came, He's pointing to that. People were saved before the cross by faith. Looking forward to a coming Redeemer. Not to their own personal righteousness or performance of the law. They, they, looked, they, they had to trust in the Lord. Even though Christ hadn't come yet, they trusted in Christ. The Bible says that Moses endured as seeing Him who was believable. As it, it seemed Him who was invisible. That Moses actually trusted in Christ in the Old Testament. Read in Hebrews chapter 11. talks about it. Also, uh, the Lord doesn't overlook any man's sin. He forgives it. And there's a big difference. Like I said, I know you did this, this, and this, and this, but I'm just kind of tired with dealing, it, dealing with it. And I know you're full of guilty stain and sin, and, but I just love you so much. We're not going to worry about all that sin that you've committed. That is not how God dealt with us. Christ would never have died if that had been the case. He was made a sin offering for us. He was beat beyond recognition for our sins. The price was paid. Somebody paid it. Nobody got away with it. He didn't overlook it and wink at it and say, I just love you so much. Come give me a big bear hug and we'll just forget all that stuff. No, it's got to be dealt with. Jesus dealt with it on the cross. Now you're going to put your faith in Him and trust Him and let what He did be real for you. You're going to let Him take your punishment? He took it on the cross. You're going to put your faith in Him now and identify yourself with Him and allow Him to be your substitute and really by faith, allow Him to be your life. Permissiveness is not love and it's not mercy. Y'all know what I mean by that? Permissiveness is not love and mercy. Just like I explained it. If... if uh, you know, Eric and Stacy said rules for their children got to be in by by midnight. Got to be in by 11 o'clock. Whatever they say. And their child comes in later than that. 
certainly they can forgive them and so forth, but they, they're just letting it slide and never dealing with it, never talking about it, is going to send the total wrong message. Is that right, Josh? To, to their children. And uh, they have to... That's not real love. The love is going to be imparting something to them, even though it might smite, I mean, hurt and sting a little bit here and there. The Lord never, never, never... This is amazing to me. All the sins of all the people that have ever lived on the entire planet, He's never looked at one and just overlooked it and let it slide. There's not been one thought that was ungodly or a little white lie that we would call a lie or rolling our eyes and being, you know, nothing. He doesn't let any of it slide. He's not permissive. I told you you're going to get grounded if you got in after 12. They get in after 12 and you don't ground them because you're too tired to deal with it. You're sleeping, you forget about it, and you don't feel like hearing all the whining and complaining. Just forget it. It wasn't that big a deal. Well, then don't say it. Don't say you're going to be grounded if you're not going to do it. Be like God in that sense. Okay? And the Lord didn't ever just wink at a sin and say, all right, I didn't really mean it. We'll let it go. No, He put it all upon His Son. He put it all, every single one, upon His Son, and death was the result. And then resurrection. Will you trust Him? Will you put your hope in Him? And He took the punishment that should have been ours. Amen? Permissiveness is not mercy. And it's not love. And it's not kindness. And it wouldn't be just of God to do that. He's, what He did is so much better. He really dealt with it. And He's able to change our hearts. Amen? It's an amazing thing. And I'm about to close, y'all. I'm sorry. I told you it was going to be long, one verse. And, um, all three persons of the Trinity were involved in, the, in our atonement. Again, Jesus loved, a lot of people may think that Jesus loved us, but somehow God was very vengeful and angry. God the Father. And Jesus stepped in the way and just stopped the Lord, stopped His Father who wanted to pour out such wrath upon people. That is not what is taught in the Scriptures. It's what's taught by people or almost inferred in a lot of things. God is austere and hard and harsh and legalistic and all He cares about is His law. And Jesus somehow is just the opposite of that and just merciful and loving. But they're one. I and my Father are one. Jesus said, I can only do the things I see my Father doing. So the fulfillment of the cross was only what He had seen His Father doing and wanting to do through Him. It's just not biblical. It's not right to picture the Lord that way. Um, that, that it was almost like Jesus out of His own heart, the goodness of His heart, was prompted to do something that wasn't in the Father's heart. Baloney. Okay? That is not the case. The death of the, of the cross was the act of the whole deity. One scripture real quickly. Uh, Christ through, this is from Hebrews. I'm just going to read it for time's sake. Hebrews, Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself to God. Christ by the spirit, that's two, offered himself to God, that's three. All are pictured right there. Another scripture, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God the Father was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself. It wasn't a solo mission of the, the, the second person of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are merciful. 
kind, loving, have a plan of redemption. Christ was the offering raised by the Spirit and offered Himself by the Spirit to His Father. That's how that worked. Okay? And that's what the Bible teaches us. And so all, all are part of it. And um, again, I'm just thanking, uh, thanking the Lord. This work, y'all, I'm closing with this, is a, is a finished work. It's a finished work. Remember, year by year by year and daily, those blood sacrifices under the Old Testament law had to continually be offered. There was just, it had to be I thought about how bloody it really was. There's nothing pretty. If you've ever killed a, a deer and cleaned it, okay? I mean, it's the hunt's all exciting and everything, but still, it's a mess. It's hard work. And these priests are cutting thousands of animals, sheep and goats, and it's a mess. And they're doing it the right way, and it was a constant reminder, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. How bad men's, man's sin is, the consequences of that, and Christ doing that once and for all. He said that just for the unjust, he, he suffered once. There's no more sin offerings to be made. It's done. He said on the cross, it's finished. He offered Himself without blemish or spot to God once. He has forever sanctified them that have come to Him by faith forever. This He did once and He offered Himself. That Your word once is used. I forgot how many times in Hebrews when talking about sin being paid for. One death. It's finished. Animals, 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 Christ. That's it. It's over. And it's a finished work. Now there's an ongoing work of Christ at the right hand of the Father as our intercessor, but not blood being shed and sacrifices for sin being made. It's an, he's making uh, advocacy for us on our behalf. Okay? And just closing with this, Christ, Christ suffered for us to bring us to God. Suffered for us to bring us to His Father or in a right relationship with Him. And it's by faith. And by faith we're made one. The Bible says we're made nigh or near by the blood of the cross. It's simple, but we have to get it. We need to know it. We have to understand it. We need to preach this to lost people and we need to teach it to save people and be taught ourselves that we understand we're brought nigh by the blood of Jesus. Nothing brings us so near as the blood of Jesus. Nothing can. What He did and then rising from the dead, uh, nobody got away with it. Nobody got away with it. It was put upon Jesus. The price was paid. Nobody slipped through the cracks. No, there's not some sinful people. They, they beat the system somehow and they figured out a way to go on with God. No. You're going to come through Jesus. He's the door. By men, if any, me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved. And so, uh, I'm closing with this thought. The price has been paid. Death and curse were in our cup, but He drained it. Death and curse was what we should have gotten. Wages of sin is death. Okay, That's in my cup. I've filled it up with all my sinful life, my sinful nature, and the sins that I've committed. God says that's, that's my portion. I'm a child of Adam. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But our, He drained it for us. And it's empty now. And one, one author said, love drank it up. He drank up that cup for us. 
For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in Him. He was made sin for us. He was not made a sinner for us. And there's a difference. He was made sin for us. He was not made a sinner for us. And you all stand with me tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Y'all, if you're, if you're ever feeling, this is our altar call tonight. If you're feeling distant, if you're feeling maybe estranged, if you're not feeling as intimate with the Lord right now, nothing's going to bring you so near as meditating on what Jesus did for you in the cross, coming back through the blood, realizing what He did for you, getting on your face before the Lord, thinking about, like Tozer said, I mean, uh, Spurgeon, Christ died for me. That theology and that reality. And maybe something that's been spoken tonight from God's Word will illuminate you a little bit more, or me a little bit more, to that reality. That you will get with the Lord. Take a few minutes. Let Him say, God, make this real to me again. Make this real to me again. I know it. I could have taught that lesson myself. I know more Scriptures than Pastor Randy knows about it. But that doesn't matter. Is it real and fresh to us? right now is let God make it real to you tonight. Nothing will bring you back into your appreciation and love for the Lord like understanding what Christ did for us on Calvary. Amen? The just dying for the unjust. And Father, I just want to lay my life before You tonight, God, as we come into this time of prayer, taking the Word of God that You've spoken to us and then letting You work it in us, God. We thank You, Lord, that we have been made nigh or near by the blood of the cross. Lord, what, what words could ever say thank You for what You did for us? Nobody got away with the, any of their sins. We didn't get away with our sin. We've been forgiven. And You didn't compromise Your holy law. You fulfilled it. And the price wasn't neglected to be paid. It was paid fully in the death of Jesus on the cross, our substitute. God, it's amazing your, your plan of salvation. You said salvation of the Lord. It's a marvelous and it's, and it's marvelous in our eyes. It's the Lord's doing. And we're so thankful, God. We're just humbled before You that You can be holy and love at the same time. You can be righteous and just and forgive sinners at the same time, but you do it through Jesus and that finished work on the cross. And I thank You that that work is finished. And I thank You, Lord, that we can't add to it, nor would we ever want to add to it or take away from it. It's done. I thank You, Lord, for the freedom and forgiveness from guilt and sin and shame that we have in faith by faith in Jesus and in this salvation. The cleansing of our conscience and our hearts and minds by the blood of Jesus. All that sin to be washed away. And if we sin a thousand times since we've been saved, if we'll confess, You'll forgive us and cleanse us with that same blood. Thank You, just God, for dying for me, an unjust sinner. Thank You for fully paying my price and my penalty that was due to, because of my sin. We love You tonight, God. Just find your place with the Lord and just meditate on the work on the cross and what Jesus did. And 
thank Him tonight and love Him. Ask Him to help you love Him more. And to take this message to people that don't know Jesus. 